0: Uh, okay. So, um, this week we are talking about the third commandment. Uh, as you may know, we've been talking about the 10 commandments and like we've said in the past, we're just going in order. So, uh, we've talked about up to this point, we've talked about why Christians still read the old Testament, why we still talk about the law of God and the 10 commandments in particular. And we've talked about idolatry with the first commandment and, uh, thinking of God, how he's not. Worshiping the wrong God in the second commandment. And this week we're talking about the third commandment with not taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and read that and then we will begin. Um, We'll pray. Oh, and afterwards, um, uh, please stick around for some small group discussion. We'll have some questions up on the screen and you can get in groups of four or five. Please, I know it's, I know, but please try to maintain social distance and everything. Um, and we'll do our discussion groups like that. Uh, Okay, so from Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to hear your word tonight. Please be near to us. Please help us to take your name seriously and to understand what this commandment means. And please minister your son, Jesus Christ, to us. Be present here with us by your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so, um, let me, I don't need that up here. Uh, So we're just going to break this up into three simple parts. What is God's name? And then, when God gives us his name, we're going to talk about what that means and why it is God names himself in this commandment. And then we're going to talk about what it means to actually take God's name in vain. Uh, and in the course of this, we'll also talk about uh, the, the positive aspect of this command, what it means to honor God's name as well. Um, but what, what is God's name? Um, well, I want to ask if, if maybe you've ever forgotten somebody's name. Well, we have name tags. Right now, but I'm sure at some point you've forgotten somebody's name, uh, and it's kind of embarrassing. And you do the "yo, dude" sort of thing, right? Or "hey, girl," um, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, and it doesn't feel great, right? Uh, and and there's like always this sort of shame in being the one who forgot somebody else's name. Uh, well, why is that? I I think we know it's because we're not just talking about. A word, right? Like we're not just mentioning some word and we're not mentioning um, some abstract idea when we use somebody's name. We're actually talking about them. If it's in third person, if we're talking with a friend about somebody else, we're talking about a person. We're talking about everything that their name stands for. And when we talk to somebody else and we use their name to address them, we're talking to them, right? We're not even just talking about them, but we're talking to them. Uh, so as we think about what God's name is, uh, I'm going to go through a couple of verses here. I want us to have that idea though, that, that God's name is not just the letters that make up his name, right? Uh, so in the old Testament, uh, in in the language of Hebrew, God revealed his, um, maybe what we would call like his covenant name or this, this amazing statement of who he is. I am that I am. And he reveals himself to Abraham when he makes this big promise to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And he names himself as Yahweh. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christians throughout time, uh, theologians, church leaders, whoever, have, have often referred to this as the tetragrammaton. Um, tetra means four grammaton letters. It's, it's, it's four letters. And they refer to it like that because that's how it appears in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. Uh, there were no vowels originally in Hebrew. I mean, they said vowels. they didn't write them, of course. Um, so you get these four letters in the Hebrew Old Testament, and so they talked about the four letters and right if this is what this commandment is about is just is it about just not saying those four letters? Is it about this combination of letters or this combination of sounds? But of course, we know that God's name varies from place to place. And yet the important thing is what is represented by his name. So when we talk about a name, uh, if we look at places like Psalm 29, 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And what it's saying there, right, is, is that his name is representative for him. His name stands for everything that he is, his power, his goodness, his reputation, right? You don't want to get a bad name in your community. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. I grew up in North Carolina. That was like a common saying. You want to have a good name with other people. Um, and what people mean is you want to have a good reputation. You want your name to mean something when other people say it. You don't want it to be like, oh, here comes Ben. Ben. I'm sure that's been said before, but uh, you don't want it to be that. And so when he talks about giving glory due to his name, he's also not talking about just giving glory to those four letters in the Old Testament or to God in English or to Lord, right? He's, he's talking about actually glorifying God. His name stands for him. Uh, Psalm 8 says, "O Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is he saying there? That this there's this glory that rises up. God has chosen to reveal himself in creation. He's represented in creation, and because of how good he shows himself to be, his his name, his character, his reputation is proven to be great, to be glorious. And if we look at John seventeen six, Jesus says, "I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I have manifested your name." Uh, in a way, you could think of this as Jesus going around throughout his life and his ministry in in Greater Judea, Greater Palestine in the ancient world, and he's, he's expositing God's character to people. He's expositing God's name to people, right? We talked about this uh, last week at the end of the second commandment, where we talked about how we don't want to worship the wrong, it, it, in a way, I, I put it like this. Um, a friend of mine likes to say, don't worship the wrong me. That's what God is saying in the second commandment. And who is the right me? It's Jesus. If we want to know who God is, it's Jesus. And it's Jesus who manifested God's name to his disciples in his time on earth. He went around, like I said, expositing it. It's, it's like a good sermon. He made, he made it very clear who God is. In his mercy, in his justice, in his healing, in his kindness, in his consistency in everything that Jesus was, we see who God is. That's why we talked about last week where... Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know the Father? (laughs) I've been showing him to you this whole time. That's exactly what I've been doing. So here too, Jesus, Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us what this name means. So when we ask the question, what's in a name? And it's an old line from Shakespeare. I'm sure you've heard that before. A lot for God. A lot for you, too, actually. But so much. So much is is in his name. And that's why this is important. That's why God is so concerned with people not abusing his name. Um. So if we look at point two, then, when God gives us his name. Well, uh, as funny as it may sound, because this commandment says not to take his name in vain, I believe the intent of this commandment is that we should say God's name. It's not that we don't ever say those letters or that combination of sounds in whatever language it is. That, that you know that name, right? It's that we don't abuse it. And we'll get, we'll get more to that later. Um, but actually, we should say God's name. Uh, if you look at the verse, the commandments before this, the two commandments before this, uh, God is speaking in the first person. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image. And then in this one, he gets to it and he says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He doesn't say you shouldn't take my name in vain. He says, The Lord your God in vain. He's revealed to them over and over through the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and through his deliverance of his people in Egypt. And even here now at Mount Sinai, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And each time, if, if uh, you notice in your English translations, a lot of translations will have um, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in place of the name Yahweh, because that's how we've always translated it in English. They do that to set it apart from the word Lord, which means like boss or landowner or master or something. Uh, that was a different word in Hebrew. But we've always translated God's name as Lord in English. And and they put it in those capital letters to show you the difference there um, but over and over again he's he's been saying this is my name I'm Yahweh and I'm your Yahweh I'm your God see he's revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all the people of God and he's mm-hmm bound himself to them? This is actually a pretty amazing thing to think about. That God, whom we can't begin to understand, who stands alone in space and time, who was before space and time, would get this personal with us, that he would tell us his name God tells the people of Israel his name. See, when they come to Mount Sinai, uh, if you read chapter 19, when God descends on Mount Sinai, uh, the clouds descend onto the top of the mountain, and there are thunders and lightnings and earthquakes, and there's all this noise. And the people come to Moses when, when he comes to speak to them, and they say, Please speak to us for God. You you intercede for us, but don't let God come near us. We can't take anymore. They're scared to death. And yet God is kind of leaning into them and saying, I'm the Lord, your God. As scary as this whole scene is, it's actually really personal. Um, God not only reveals his name to the people of Israel and to us, but he actually puts his name on the people of Israel. In number 6, at the end of the chapter, uh, the wh- what we often call the Aaronic blessing because Moses' brother Aaron said it. So of course, we have to give it a confusing name. Uh, Aaron speaks this blessing that God has commanded. And he says... The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then, after that, in the last verse of that chapter, he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. God chooses so closely to tie himself to his people. That he actually gives them his name. He's getting really close and personal with them. And when you think about it, too, with name being reputation and the fact that God has planned all things and knows all things, it's not like he doesn't know Israel is about to be awful for the next, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years. He knows. And he leans in and gives them his name anyway. He says, put my name on these people. So God actually wants us to claim his name. He actually wants us to know his name and even to speak his name. There is a proper use for his name here. Uh, Again, as I said, I know that this is kind of weird in light of the words of the commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But that's an important factor in it, that that it shouldn't be in vain. Um something that's important to each commandment, as they've often been understood in, um, I think, both, well, I think probably in all Jewish, Catholic, and Protestant traditions, is that in understanding the Ten Commandments, there's this negative, positive sort of principle in interpreting them. And I think we see that well here. Uh, So I want to talk about it with this commandment just briefly. One old document puts that principle this way, It says, where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. Right? So if God tells you not to do one thing, it means do the other thing. And if he tells you to do something, it means don't do the other thing. So it's very definite. Um, So I think the reason this is, is maybe the uh, a good commandment to talk about this one, is because God has just given his name. He's mentioned his name to the people. He's used his name. He wants these people to claim his name, to go around as the people of God. And the assumption behind this verse is that they will use his name, but that they won't use it in vain. So, um, the assumption is that they will use his name. They won't use it in vain. Uh, and, and here I want to point out just this, again, this, uh, well, not again, but we'll talk about why saying it is not forbidden. Um, I want to point out just briefly the difference between mentioning God's name and using God's name. Mentioning it is to say it, right? Um, it's, it's simply to say it. Using it is to try to accomplish something with it. Um, the word in the Hebrew in this verse uh, is not just for speaking. it actually has much more of like an uh, an action oriented sort of meaning. It means something more like to lift or to carry right so there's this sort of uh figurative idea behind the word don't go around with god's name on you dishonoring it don't use it don't use it to your own ends. sorcery was a big deal in israel don't use it for that and we'll talk about that uh, in a little while too but the point is do say it use it correctly use it rightly represent it well Pray it and pray by it as we know we are to pray in the name of Jesus as God chose to name himself when his son became man. Pray through his name. Use it rightly. I want to, I want to point out one last thing uh, in this point on when God gives us his name. Um, and it's It's baptism. God, in this ironic blessing that he put on his people in the Old Testament, he put his name on them. He blessed them with his name. God is actually the meaning even of El in Israel. Um, Right? He is closely associated with them. But how often do we look back on our baptism if you've been baptized? If not, I'd like to talk about that um, because it's a wonderful gift to us. How often do we look back, though, on our baptisms And think about what happened in that act. In Matthew 28, Jesus, talking to his disciples, says to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he actually says to put my name on those people. We get baptized into God's name. Often we don't do it justice to think about what that means, that God has claimed us. This this act of baptism, this naming of us, I think is even more significant when we consider that the New Testament shows the act of baptism to signify the washing away of our sins or what happens in what we call justification. The way God makes us right with himself is by putting our sins on Christ and giving us his righteousness. He imputes it to us. He gives it to us. We don't, we don't make ourselves righteous. We don't slowly grow righteous. We don't somehow earn something from God. He simply gives us the righteousness of Jesus. And in this act where he signifies what he's done in taking away our sins, he puts his name on us. He claims us. We talk to our kids sometimes about um, their baptisms, and you know, they have questions, they're young, and uh, they want to know what it means sometimes. Or when we see a baptism at church, we ask them, like, what, what's happening there? What are, they, what are they saying? And we always like to explain it to our kids like this. Um, baptism is God saying, this one's mine. This one's mine. It's the act in which we get to see what happens internally through faith in Christ. It's an outward act to help us see what's happened or is happening internally. So he puts his name on us. And um, I want to turn to Galatians 3. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If not, I'll just read it to you. Galatians 3, verses 27 through 29. The Apostle Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So what's he saying there? He's he's actually been talking about this issue of justification through faith alone. Um, right? That's what's going on in the Galatian church at this time. People are uh, concerned through some false teachers that have come in and said, you have to earn salvation. You've got to do something. You've got to become part Jewish or not part Jewish. That's a terrible way of explaining what's happening in Galatians. But they say you've got to start acting like a Jew Uh, You've got to get circumcised, right? Uh, Some different things. And and Paul is saying, no, no. the, the, The message of this book is actually just by believing on Jesus, you're made right with God. And then he goes on to say this, that when you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. He has so closely associated himself with you. And you have put him on. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. All the riches of God belong to you because God has given you his name. And all these other things that kept you from God, being a Gentile who didn't worship God, being not a Jew, not being allowed to enter certain courts of the temple in the Old Testament because you were a woman or a Gentile having something separating uh, men from men and women from women in slavery, he says, there is something that surpasses all of that. There is something that transcends all of those distinctions and it's becoming part of my family. When I put my name on you, your identity is now in me. This is such a wonderful act that God does to us to give us his name, to put his name on his people. That later on, a few verses uh, later, the Apostle Paul says, uh, in, still in chapter 3, but verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Father. Because God has put his name on you through faith in Jesus Christ, you now actually get to call on God's name. And in this special, intimate sort of name that he gives to his children, you get to call on God as Father, just like he's taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Just like Jesus, his actual son, got to call on him as Father. I love... When my kids call me Dad, sometimes they call me Ben, and it's really weird. Um, They're six and four, so that's kind of odd. Um, Although I guess it's odd even if they're older. I don't know yet. But mostly they call me Dad. To them, that's basically my name. If any of you called me Dad, it would be really weird. And I would hope that you would see a counselor. When my kids call me dad, it's because they know that we have the same family name. It's because they know that they always have my ear, that I would protect them with my life. And we have all of those rights with God because he's put his name on us. By putting our old name, our old family name of Adam on Jesus Christ. We were born into a family we don't want to be born into. By being born a human, we were born into sin. We were born already wrong with God, already not in the right place with him. And Jesus became a man. He took on the name of man. And on the cross, he endured the wrath of God so that we would get to take on his name. He switched places with us so that we would get to call God by that special name of Father. Um, okay, so that's what happens when God tells us his name. And not only when he reveals what his name is to us, but when he puts it on us. Uh, Point three is, what is taking his name in vain? I think sometimes there are questions about this. Um, Every now and then I'll hear uh, a Christian or somebody else say, uh, it's fine to say, oh my God, because God's not his name. Okay, well, I think there's some confusion there. And I want to talk about um, why that's still not okay, but I I hope to go a lot deeper than that. Um, So what is taking his name in vain? It doesn't just stop at saying his name. As we mentioned earlier, when his name is on us, the way that we represent it and represent him are also very important. And essentially the extent of the command, right? Uh, the depth to which it requires obedience is this, that we, that we think and act and live and speak in such a way that we recognize everything about God as having a sacredness to it, that we revere him, that we take seriously his word, his church, his name itself, but also everything that his name represents about him and everything that he's given to reveal himself to us. But, of course, we've lost sight of sacredness at large in society. Um, A couple months ago, there was this billboard up in town. (laughs) It kind of drove me crazy. Uh, I won't say the name, but it was for some sort of, like, real estate agent or something. And he's dressed up like Patrick Henry, who, if you know who Patrick Henry is, a famous guy in the Revolutionary War. Um, His mom's birthplace is, like, up Highway 151 or something. So he's a big deal in here in this area. And he famously said, give me liberty or give me death. I saw this billboard a few months ago where this guy's dressed up like Patrick Henry. And it said, give me low rates or give me death. (laughs) And I just thought, man, nothing is sacred anymore. Right? He couldn't even change the word death to like something else to like keep the joke going. Um, It seemed really extreme to me. But I think what's in view here. And the reason I bring that up is because we ought to take God's name and God's reputation and character way more seriously than that. Essentially what this commandment is getting at and what so many of the positive commands are getting at that tell us to give his name glory or to glorify him, they're getting at the weightiness of God. They're getting at how heavy he is. Even even that word in the Hebrew for glory is uh, very much related to the word heavy. In fact, I think they're the same. Um, I realize now I didn't look that up. I'm trying to remember Hebrew class, um, but but glory and heaviness are related here in relation to God. He wants us to take seriously his words, his works, his actions, his character, everything about him. And so uh, this is important for a lot of reasons, and, and here we'll try to get a little bit more practical. Um, in Exodus 20 right here, where we're reading, this commandment has often been understood as referring to oaths, right? Um, where we call God to be our witness about something. Um, um You you may have heard people say, I swear to God, or you think of uh, the oath of office, or when you have to go into a courtroom and be witness uh, in a case, you you often have to take an oath. I, I think in some places you don't have to do that anymore, but you would place your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You're calling on God as your highest witness, as the highest standard of truth, and even to bear witness against you should you lie. And what... Exodus is saying here is not to take that lightly. Um, there's been some talk on, um, I say some talk, like this has been a recent thing. Over the last 2,000 years, there's been a lot of discussion within the church on uh, what Jesus means when he says not to swear at all. I think when you look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's not talking about the same sort of thing that's happening in the Old Testament. Actually, in the Old Testament, people uh we're sometimes commanded to take oaths and it's, it's commended in the way that it's recorded. If you look at what Jesus is talking about though, he's saying, you guys are swearing by the temple, you're swearing by your own lifespans, you're swearing by all these things that you can't control and that are only sacred because of God and yet you think you're getting around appealing to the highest witness and you think that this is not quite rising to the level where you actually have to tell the truth or maybe you still have some sort of out. On your oath. And Jesus is taking issue with that and saying, just be honest. But here in Exodus 20, I think what we see is that the Lord is telling us not to take this lightly when we call on His name. Not at all. And that's what vain means and has this idea of emptiness or holding something lightly, not taking it seriously. Uh, If you'll turn with me, this is the last place I'll make you turn, if you are following along, if I can get there, uh, to Isaiah chapter 1. If you look at verse 12, the prophet there says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God is talking about things that He's actually commanded them to do when He says, Your new moons and your feasts have become an abomination to me. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. What is he talking about here? He's saying hypocrisy. You guys are ignoring everything I've told you about how to love your neighbors. You come to me to worship me and you don't mean it. They're taking God's name lightly. They're trying to appease him, but not actually to live for him or love him. And so that's one way that we take God's name in vain and Jesus addresses the same issue when he says in Luke 6 46 why do you call me Lord Lord and not do what I tell you and Paul addresses this when he says uh, to the recipients of the, the letter to the Romans that they know the law but they don't obey it and in verse 2 and in chapter 2 verse 24 he says for as it is written the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you He says, for this reason that you know what to do, you know what is right and you know the true God and you do not honor him as God. For this reason, my name is blasphemed by the Gentiles. Hypocrisy is one of the worst ways we can take God's name in vain because his name is on us. But this too, um, Sorcery was, uh, like we said earlier, a big issue in the ancient world. You see an example of this in Acts uh, 19. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. Um, Sorcery is is a big deal. And what happens sometimes with uh, Israel and in the book of Acts is we see people who want to take God's name and use it in sorcery to get what they want. Right? They've got this sort of like practical magic and they think that they can empower their words by using the right combination of God's name by calling on his authority over the earth and over spirits to get what they want. And that's really what's behind it is getting what they want. And there's quite a, a likeness to this today in name it and claim it preaching. I'm sure you've heard of this before. Have enough faith. Claim it. It's yours in Jesus. That money is yours. Money, maybe you guys have seen that video. I think it's Ken Hagen. Money cometh to me, right? That's an abomination to God. We shouldn't think that we can use God to get what we want. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of Ravi Zacharias and how recently he's been in the news, um, shortly after his death. Because it came out that he was um, quite a philanderer and a sexual abuser. And if you've read the report that his own organization had done on him, the the research that they did, um, it's pretty gross, y'all. And one of the worst things about it is that it seems that he told some of the young women that he abused, that they were God's gift to him for all of his years of service, that they were doing the right things by letting him do what he did. He profaned God's name. And we shouldn't take lightly this curse that God gives when he says he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, Because Ravi Zacharias didn't just use the wrong combination of letters at the wrong time. He has dragged God's reputation through the mud and used his name to get what he wanted out of people. And I bet my money that Ravi Zacharias is burning in hell. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not making fun of it. We do the same thing with politics when we see politicians claiming to be Christians, claiming to love God and do what he wants. We see it in preaching even that's not so bad as name and claim it when we hear things like, I'm getting a word from God right now. I just feel like God is putting this on my heart. How can you argue with that, that it's from God? When really often what's happening is that people are tying up God's name with what they want. We ought to be careful of those who say things like that. And we ought to be careful never to tie God too closely to one of our ideas so as to use his name for our own ends. And I hope you see that it's that God that we talked about last week who made heaven and earth. Who is different than anything we can imagine. Who is holy. Who is beyond us who is all loving and has given his own son for us. If there's anything in us that, that cries out to the beauty of who that God is and recognizes the awful majesty of who he is, I think then we begin to see why there is such a strong curse on those who take his name in vain. It's not just the uttering of those syllables. It's denying who he is. Um, let's pray, and then please do stick around for uh, some small group discussion. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it in us. Pray that you would convict us, that you would drive us to Christ, that you would help us to see how your name is on us and give us hope in you because of that. Lord, help us um, to believe in you because of that, to look back on what you've done for us to make that possible. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.